verse 1, uh, and we're going to start with a, a rather lengthy reading down through verse 16. So John chapter one or chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus uses two images here that are closely related, both related to this idea of shepherding. He says, I am the door of the sheep. 
And then he says, I am the good shepherd. And this image of God as the shepherd, or the leaders of Israel as shepherd, and God's people as sheep, and even this idea of a sheepfold is is a common image in the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 23 immediately comes to our mind. Many of us know that psalm by heart, where it describes God in terms of a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But that is far from the only place where this image is used. In Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 6, the prophet Jeremiah quotes the Lord who says, My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold, their sheep. And so, God says there is a place where His people belong, in His sheepfold, and yet they've wandered away. The prophets, Micah and Zechariah, Ezekiel, and other books in the Old Testament all have this imagery of God as a shepherd, or God's leaders as shepherds, and His people as sheep. And even if we think about leaders and shepherds in a literal sense, there are many of God's Leaders who were shepherds before they became leaders of the people of God. Uh, Give me some examples. Who are some Old Testament characters who are pillars uh, in the nation of Israel, who were leaders of God's people, but they also were shepherds before they became these leaders? Can you think of any? Moses, great example, right? He was out there shepherding when he was called, right? Other examples. David, he was out shepherding when he was called to be the leader of God's people. Any other examples? So it's interesting, Joseph was involved in shepherding, right? Because he had to go out and check on his brothers who were shepherding. Uh, He's never actually referred to in terms of being a shepherd, but you're on the right track. Who was his father? We got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob or Israel, and then Joseph, right? Abraham was a shepherd. He was other things too. He was a very wealthy man. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Um, In fact, of those three, perhaps Jacob was the most associated with shepherding, and his name was changed to Israel. The the nation actually came through him and by him. Uh, We think about the prophets. Uh, The prophet Amos, for example, in Amos chapter 7 and verse 14. He says, I was a sheep breeder, a shepherd, and a tender of sycamore fruit. I I wasn't a prophet or the son of a prophet. All I was was a humble shepherd. And God called me to be a prophet for His people. And this image is so prevalent in the Old Testament um, that Muhammad, the so-called prophet of Islam, suggested in his writings that every prophet of God who ever lived was a shepherd at some point in his life. Now, I don't think that's true, but it does show how prevalent this concept and this idea is. If you want to be a leader of God's people, be a shepherd. And if you're a shepherd, it will teach you how you're supposed to lead God's people. Uh, As prevalent as, as it is in the Old Testament, maybe it's more prevalent in the New Testament, right? The elders in the Lord's church are also called what? Shepherds. I was hoping somebody would say overseers because that would have been really funny. But they're called shepherds too, right? Turn in your New Testament 
uh, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. As we're thinking about shepherds. Actually, all three words for an elder or a pastor or a bishop, uh, we would put those in terms of an overseer, a shepherd, an elder. All three of those words are found here in uh, the first four verses of 1 Peter 5. The elders who are among you I exhort, Peter says, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but as examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, who's that? That's Christ. You will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. What makes this such a great image? I mean, God uses it over and over and over and over. And Jesus uses it over and over and over. Not just here in John 10 referring to Himself. He he refers to shepherding a number of times in parables, in, in illustrations. So what makes this such a great image? The idea of a shepherd and his flock, God and His people. Okay, so there's a relationship there, right? You know and are known. Uh, the shepherd was close with these people, so it describes a relationship. What else makes it a great image? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so we hear Christ's voice and we follow Him. Y'all are interpreting this image for us, right? But, but why choose this image? Of all of the illustrations that, that God could have used, why does He use this one so often? Okay, so sheep, sheep are helpless. So we need to learn something about ourselves in this. And we're going to spend some time at the end of class tonight doing just that thing. Okay? Uh, what else? It was, it was very familiar to them. Yeah. It was very familiar to them. If I were to use a golf illustration, all of you might understand it, but you know, some of you are going to appreciate that more than others. Others of you are just shaking your head right here. No, no, no golf illustration. But if I use a, a food I mean, that's going to hit just about everybody, right? Well, here, this illustration of a shepherd. In the ancient world, everybody either was a shepherd or knew a shepherd. Everybody in the ancient world. But I would take it even a step further. Not just in the culture that Jesus was a part of, not just in the ancient Near East or Middle East, but around the world, this is a common image We have shepherds in basically every society around the world. And it's basically the same image everywhere. This is an image that that translates. You know, so many things are lost in translation from one culture to another, but the image of a shepherd and what a shepherd does and the tools that a shepherd uses and even this idea of, of a sheepfold for the sheep, that image is something that translates across all cultures. Even in our culture, which is not as rural, which is not as agricultural as it once was, we we understand this image of a shepherd. Uh, You take the concept of a rod and a staff. Um, I preached a sermon on that a year or two ago. uh, And and in my research for that, one of the things that was, was, 
was so amazing to me is how those two tools for shepherding are used around the world, and they're used in the same way. They're known by different names, but if you look at shepherds in the heart of Africa, you, you look at shepherds in the Middle East, you look at shepherds in the hills of Scotland, they all used a rod and a staff in shepherding the sheep. Uh, or we have this idea of the sheepfold that we're going to talk about tonight. This is a sheepfold. We'll come back to this image to talk about it a little bit more. Uh, but where do you think this is based on topography? Any guesses? Ireland, that's close. Northern Eng England, right? So Scotland, England, Ireland, they all had shepherds, right? Uh, what about this? This is a much more recent photo from the early 2000s. This is Turkey, okay? So that's a long way from Ireland. Here, uh, this is a photo from 2017. Farrell Jenkins had this on his website. I give him credit here. Uh, you see here, there's another sheepfold. Uh, all of them made with stones, all of them with one large entrance. Uh, and so this is an image, a metaphor that was known um, throughout the uh, ancient world. Uh, a sheepfold, it's just a pen, we might call it, usually made of rocks with just one entrance. Sometimes, uh, especially in the open country like this one would have been, there's not a permanent gate for these sheepfolds. Uh, if it is adjoined to someone's house, more like this one would have been, uh, or even this one, uh, there's more likely a permanent gate. But if it's out in the open country, uh, these sheepfolds were set up and multiple shepherds would have used them whenever they were in those pastures uh, and there was perhaps not a permanent gate or door to the sheepfold. Uh, you probably understand how this would work at night. A shepherd would bring his sheep into the sheepfold. Uh, we still use that phrase, right? we got to bring somebody into the fold if we're trying to recruit somebody, um, football or whatever, right? We bring them into the fold means that we bring them to our side, to our team where it's safe. Uh, and so that's what they would do to protect the sheep from thieves or predators. And some have suggested uh, that the... Sh I've tried to confirm this... Uh, and I tried to do it with non-religious sources, and it's a little hard to confirm. So I'll just say, some people have suggested, since there is no permanent door on a lot of these open country sheepfolds, that the shepherd himself would actually lay there at the entrance of the sheepfold as a door, as it were, uh, so that the sheep didn't get out, and so that the predators didn't get in. It was the shepherd himself who was between the sheep uh, and those who were after them. Uh, at home, or if a sheepfold was shared with multiple flocks at the same time, there might be a single gatekeeper watching the sheep until the shepherd came to, to get them. Um, and, and that seems to be what Jesus refers to in verse 3 of John chapter 10. To him the doorkeeper or gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And so the shepherd would get some rest that night. One person would be assigned to be the gatekeeper or doorkeeper. And then in the morning, the shepherd would come. Well, what if you have multiple flocks in one sheepfold? How do you take care of that? What did Jesus say? The sheep 
hear the voice of their shepherd. And so you weren't worried about some robber coming and trying to take somebody else's sheep because they don't know his voice. He doesn't know the name of the sheep. And they don't follow after his voice when he comes to the sheepfold. Now Jesus says, I am the door to the sheep. The door to the sheepfold. What do you think that means? Give me the interpretation. He's the entrance. He's the way into what? Into the fold. And the fold would be what? Safety. His kingdom. The safety that is found in His kingdom with a relationship with Him. Right? And how many how many flocks are there? How many sheepfolds? There's one. And, and He even says at the end of our reading in verse 16, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them I must bring and they will hear My voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Uh, we cross-reference that with books like Ephesians that talk about one church, there's one kingdom, um, and the Gentiles are going to be brought into that alongside the Jews. And so all of us are going to be part of this one flock. Now last time, um, I spent quite a bit of time in John chapter 9 connecting the things we read tonight with the previous account. Now I say the previous account because there's a chapter division there, but we made the point that this is all on the same occasion. Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And then he talks about this idea of him being uh, the gate or the door, sheep, and being the good shepherd. How does this concept of Jesus being the, the door to the sheepfold, how does that connect to the man born blind? Let me ask you this. Why were the blind man's parents afraid to testify on his behalf? You can look at verse 22 of chapter 9 if you want. The rulers. The and what specifically were they afraid of? They're going to be put out of the synagogue, right? Okay, and then with the blind man himself, what did the Pharisees do with this man after he defends Jesus? You can look in verse 34 if you want. What did they do with him? Cast him out. They cast him out. If we think of the people of God, how did these religious leaders, how did they view themselves? They were the what? They were the door. They were the gatekeepers. They said who was in, and they said, and along comes Jesus, and Jesus takes this man who's supposed to be an outsider, and he says, no, 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 you're an insider, because I am the door. Not these other religious leaders. I am the door, and I determine who's in, and I determine who's out. Um... And so, he's a part of Jesus' flock. A part of Jesus' people. If we enter by Jesus, and only by Jesus, verse 9 tells us that we will be saved. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. 
Uh, that uh, really harkens back to all of this imagery from the Old Testament with God as the good shepherd. And this in and out and finding pasture means that you're going to be safe, uh, that He protects you, and then you're also going to be blessed. He provides for you. But does that mean that there are no dangers involved? Of course not. He talks about how there will be those who uh, come to seek to steal and kill and destroy Uh, Those who try and come in some other way besides the door who try and do that. Um, But it's still the way to abundant life. One of my favorite passages in all of the book of John uh, is there in the second half of verse 10. I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Again, I think there's a really strong connection there to chapter 9. He says, I came that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. So what's the connection to the man born blind? Did the man born blind, did he have life? This way, did he have life? Life? L-I-F-E? Did he have an abundant life? From a physical perspective. Was it a fulfilling life? Was it a life filled with blessing? He sat and begged day after day. It was a frustrating life. It was an unfulfilling existence. And what an image Jesus gives us. He says, I'm going to give you an abundant life. I'm going to open your eyes to more than you could ever know. And you aren't just going to exist. I mean, that's what the blind man was doing. He was existing. He says, I'm going to give you life abundant. And Jesus also calls himself the good shepherd. So uh, before we move on to the good shepherd, and then we'll make some applications to us, any thoughts there with this first image uh, and what that image means with I am the door of the sheep? Okay, so then Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. Uh I think sometimes maybe it's a little confusing that these are back-to-back and we want to mash them together and say, okay, well, this is what all of that means. Um, I think they're both along the same theme of shepherding, um, but let's not be consumed with trying to make these two images fit together. Let's just see what the two images are. What's the purpose of a shepherd? That's a silly question. What's the purpose of a shepherd? Safety of the sheep. The safety of the sheep. The purpose of a shepherd is to watch the sheep, to protect the sheep, to feed the sheep. And Jesus takes it a step further, right? Protect to such a degree that you're even willing to what? Lay down your life for the sheep. Um, I've loved lots of animals in my life. I have never loved an animal enough to lay down my life for it. But these aren't just pets, right? There's a livelihood involved here. Uh, there's certainly a relationship that was brought up before. And it also represented not just the sheep, but those that the shepherd was providing for, right? Um, and we might say, well, that's not worth a life, but maybe when the life that's being saved is our own, we have a different perspective on it. Uh, I'll say this. This was not a nine-to-five job, uh, being a shepherd. This was more of an all-consuming kind of deal. Uh, I want you to mark your spot in John 10. 
Let's go to Genesis 31. I ran across this last week. In Genesis 31, we talked about how Jacob was a shepherd. Primarily, he worked as a shepherd under his father-in-law Laban, right? And he describes what that was like in Genesis 31 and verse 38. Genesis 31 and 38, basically he's saying, man, it's time for me to leave. I have done enough with you. And so he says in verse 38, These twenty years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. I've been a good shepherd. That which was torn by beast I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. And maybe you say, well, was he like derelict in his duties here? Well, verse 40 tells us something different. There I was. That's like the start of a, of a bad like redneck joke or something, right? Uh, there I was. In the day the drought consumed me and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. That was the life of a shepherd. You're out in the elements with the sheep. You're the one responsible. Drought consumed me in day and frost at night. It's, it's hot when it's hot and it's cold when it's cold. And sleep departed from my eyes because I have to stay up and I am the one who has to protect the sheep. It's hard work, total commitment, constant care. And it's dangerous work too, right? Jesus refers to wolves who come in after the sheep. Uh, We think about David. David mentioned two other animals. What animals did David say he fought off? A lion, which there were lions in Israel in those days. And a bear. A lion and a bear. Um, Have you ever seen a lion? Have you ever seen a bear? And yet, to protect the sheep, David put himself between uh, the lion and the sheep. And constant concern for each and every sheep would be what a good shepherd would have. We turn to Luke chapter 15. Uh, Maybe Luke 15 helps us put it in terms that are more applicable to us. Maybe I wouldn't give my life for an animal. But in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives three illustrations here of lost things. And in verse 3 of Luke 15, Luke 15 and verse 3, So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Here the shepherd goes after the one. And it describes the Lord's concern for His sheep. Uh, The next story is over lost coin, but the third story is of a lost son. The prodigal son is what we normally call it. Um, Has anybody in here, maybe this is self-incriminating, so I'll raise my hand too, at Target, Walmart, the mall, anybody in here ever lost one of your children? Anybody? Thank you, I'm not the only bad parent. When you had that experience, did you say to yourself, eh, 
I got another one at home, you know. Well, maybe some of us, depending on which child was lost. But, but most of us would say, no, I mean, yes, I've got, I've got another children, child or children, if you have that, right? But I'm still going to go after the one that is lost because they're valuable to me, because I care about them. Um, and so what we find here as a shepherd is a, is a position of responsible leadership. A hireling is a leader, uh, of the sheep, but he's not really responsible for them. He takes no responsibility. He doesn't do everything in his power to protect and provide. And again, this echoes what we've seen in chapter 9 when Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. Jesus is revealing who he is to those who will accept it. And notice Jesus is called a rabbi in chapter 9 and verse 1. He's called a man, called Jesus in chapter 9 and verse 11. He's called a prophet in chapter 9 and verse 17. And in verse 22, he's even called the Messiah, or possibly that he is the Messiah. In verses 35 through 38, he's worshipped as the Son of God by the blind man. Now, that last one... The Messiah was, nobody can call him Messiah, and then it's more private where the blind man worships him as the Son of God. But by identifying himself as the Good Shepherd, may I suggest he's further making the claim that he is the Messiah. Uh, There were lots of bad shepherds in Israel's history, but now we have the Good Shepherd. In chapter 10 of John... And if we drop down to verse 24, Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Christ just means Messiah, right? And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. Did he at any point before this say, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah? Not that we read. At least not to the Pharisees. Uh, To the woman at the well he does. But not to the Pharisees. And yet he says, I already told you, and you do not believe. May I suggest that his claim, I am the good shepherd was that claim that He is the Christ, He is the Messiah. In the Old Testament, who is described as the shepherd of God's people? God. Good. God is... The leaders are... But then we see that there is prophecy about a good shepherd. Um, in a lot of places, uh, Ezekiel, Zechariah. Let's turn to Ezekiel 34 for just a second. Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 and verse 23. Ezekiel's writing during the captivity, the Babylonian captivity. Uh, in Ezekiel 34 verses 1 through 10. Uh, He describes the evil shepherds who are not concerned about the flock. Uh, That's summarized well in Zechariah as well. And they'd had lots of evil shepherds who were thieves and robbers and didn't care about the flock. But then he starts describing a good shepherd beginning in verse 11 through the end of the chapter. 
And notice what he says in verse 23. I will establish one shepherd over them in the future, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. When we come out of captivity, Ezekiel is prophesying by the word of the Lord, God is going to set a shepherd over us, and that shepherd is going to be David. Now, the, the, the people of Israel, David was going to be reincarnated. That he was going to come back from the dead. Instead, they rightly understood this passage to be talking about whom? Not Jesus specifically, but the Christ, the Messiah in general terms, right? They understood that there was a good shepherd coming, and that one good shepherd, he's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the Christ. And so they associated this idea of a good shepherd with God and with this promised Messiah, this Christ. And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, what is He saying? I'm the Christ. And maybe He's even applying, I'm I'm God in the flesh, when He says that. Uh, If we look in this uh, Ezekiel passage in a little further detail, God is the one who saves the sheep. God raises up a shepherd, this David, who we identify as Jesus, who will feed the sheep. God establishes peace and harmony among the flock. And God promises blessings to the sheep if they will follow Him as they ought. But then we have other prophets who say just the opposite in some ways. In Zechariah, God will not deliver them from mistreating hands. God raises up a shepherd to oppose His people. God breaks His peace with them. And God promises doom and destruction to the sheep. Now, Ezekiel took place before Zechariah prophesied. So what do we have here? Is God contradicting Himself? What is the difference between the people that Ezekiel is talking about and the people Zechariah is talking about? You have the remnant that is religious and righteous before God, and you have those that have gone astray. There you go. There you go. You have the remnant that is righteous, who accepts Jesus when He comes, and you have those who have gone astray who will reject Him. And these two groups have not changed. The only question is, which group will we be? The difference between these two groups is what they desired. One desired a good shepherd who would feed them and lead them. The others wanted to reject them. And what God says in Zechariah is, you want a foolish shepherd? I'll give you a foolish shepherd. But if we want the good shepherd, if that's our desire, then we will have him. These people in John 10 that Jesus was talking to, these Pharisees, they didn't care that they had bad shepherds. They didn't care that they were bad shepherds to the people. They desired anyone but the good shepherd. And there are some pastors, that's just the word for shepherd, who don't care about the flock either, whether that's in the denominational sense of the word or the, or the biblical sense of the word, which is fine with some flocks as long as those pastors leave them alone to their own desires. And as soon as the shepherds start meddling and telling them what they're doing is wrong or it's harmful to them, then they'll rise up against those shepherds. Ultimately, all rejection of good leaders 
finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. But that wasn't what they wanted. In John 19, just a few chapters later, in verse 15, they cry out, We have no king but Caesar. Caesar is our shepherd. That's what they're saying. And so my question is, what kind of shepherd do we want? One who doesn't care about us? Who lets us do whatever we want? Or a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep but expects us to follow him? As a general rule, we get the kind of shepherd we desire. So at the end of class tonight, here's what I want us to do. Um, Which do we want? Do we desire the good shepherd? I hope we do. Is that the second thing? I am, are we? Uh, If Jesus is the door and the good shepherd, who are we? We said it at the beginning of class. Who are we? We're sheep. You know what you are? You're a bunch of sheeple. How's that feel? Try that on for size. Well, why do people use that insult? Sheeple, bunch of sheep. What does that mean? Just, Just followers, right? Not the world, not following the world. Not just following after some political leader. But what we are are followers of Christ. And you know what we are? We're, when we call people sheeple, we mean they're stupid and they're blind and you don't get it and you just follow without really knowing what's going on. Exactly. Spiritually, we are sometimes very stupid and very blind. And when it comes to what is best for us spiritually, a lot of times we don't get it. We don't know what's good for us. We need someone to lead us. We need someone to tell us what is best for us. And so what does that mean that we must do as sheep? We must hear His voice and follow Him. It's a matter of relationship. It's a matter of trust. Because we hear His voice, we know Him, and we follow Him. Um, And now there are children in the auditorium. So we're out of time. Thank you for your good attention tonight.